I want to speak this morning on the fact that God uses imperfect people. God uses imperfect people. Does this disqualify anybody in this room this morning? Does anybody, if you're perfect, you can leave. <laughs> if you're perfect, we won't, we won't even think twice if you get up and walk out the door, um, because I know that we would know you're perfect. <laughs> but God uses imperfect people. Last week we spoke about this concept a little bit, and I want to speak a little bit more about it, because, you know, it's amazing to me that a perfect God works his plan through imperfect people to a point of perfection. I don't get that, do you? How can God, who is perfect, who never makes a mistake, who never has to back up and have a redo, who hits a perfect golf shot every time, <laughs> who makes every basket, never makes a foul, you know, I mean, how can a God that is that in his character and in his action and everything he does, how can he take me and you imperfect people and then come up with a perfect plan. It's a mystery. And it's only by God's grace that he can do that. It's only by the grace of God that he can take something that is not perfect and use it to make perfect. Wow, I, it's just Think about that sometimes. Just sit down in your meditation time and just try to grasp that concept. And then try to say, God, you know who I am. You know me and my imperfections, and you still love me enough, and you still want to use me. That's another one that will blow your mind, won't it? How God does this is that God is more thrilled with our availability more than our ability. Think about that. He's more thrilled when I'm available to be used than in my abilities. And I think that's how maybe God does what he does. Maybe that has something to do with how he can make a perfect plan come out of imperfect people when that imperfect person says, God, use me. Use me in my inabilities. Use me in the way that I know that I'm weak in. I know that I don't have all the answers in. But please use me anyways. Find a place for me, God, that fits. Find a place for me that I can be effective through the power that comes through you into me, but not through my own abilities. And when I allow God to use me that way, and when you allow God to use you in that fashion, you are unleashing the power of heaven. You are unleashing the creative power that God spoke when he spoke the earth into place and he spoke the moon and the stars and the sun into place. He spoke that into place. He will speak that through you, an imperfect person, and you will accomplish the perfect. It's a God thing. And sometimes we want to help God. Sometimes we want to get in the way and say, God, I want, maybe you need my help. And he's saying, Mike, just give me your availability and then trust me. You don't need to make things happen. When you come up to be prayed for, you don't need to make your healing. You don't need to be responsible for the freedom that you have to have. You don't need to be responsible for that. 
You just need to be responsible to ask and then have belief and faith to receive. And when you do that, the creator of this world will recreate in you a heart that is perfectly lined up with his will. And when you line up with God's will, God answers prayers. That's his word. That's his promise. But before we can go much further, let's establish the fact that God does have a plan for people. He does have a plan for those that follow Christ. Jeremiah tells us, this is a very popular verse. We probably all have it memorized or at least have read it before. And it says in 29 verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, God's talking about that he has a plan for our lives that when we submit ourselves to God and follow him, he brings good things. He brings good things. Now, we can get confused in this because maybe we're not going through good things right now. See, but God uses those things to bring good into your life because, again, that's his promise. God has a plan for your life, and he has, some, he has some objectives for you. And God's plans and his objectives are not so much about the details, even though God is a God of details, even though he is a God of specifics. Really, his plan for you is based more about developing your character, developing your heart. Because if God can get my heart, if, if he can get his wisdom, his righteousness, if that can become who I am in Christ, see, then everything else will work itself out. Does that make sense to you? If I can have God's heart in me, if I can have his heartbeat beating in my heart, then all the specifics and all the details of the plan will come together smoothly. Or much more smoothly. Not to say we're not going to have problems in this life because we are. But when I have the character of God developed within my heart, then the plans of God come to bear. God knows this. He knows that if he have my heart, then he'll have my life. Now, does this make us perfect? Absolutely not. This doesn't make us perfect in our ability See, but God is constantly then working in us to help filter out the junk in our lives. He's helping us to do this. I, I want to look at that verse again, and, and I read a, um, a little study on it from James McDonald, and I really like what James had to say about this passage and how he kind of brings this passage out to light. So let me, I, I'm using information that I've gained from James McDonald on this part. And he's, James says, God always has plans for the welfare and the future of those who are his. He always has plans to give his children. Now, who is God's children? Yeah, and what makes you his child? Is it just because you're a part of the human race? Yeah. God has given his son, Jesus, to be our sacrifice for our sin. And as I accept his sacrifice, he adopts us as children. And then we are co-heirs with Christ. We are in the family of God so that we can call God Father. And even in the, in, 
in the scripture, it says Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a very personalized way to say Daddy. Now, I know that sounds immature and silly to us, but, you know, Daddy, Father, you can crawl up on your Daddy's lap and he gives you a hug as a child. How much more safe did you ever feel? How much more safe did you ever feel when you were in the arms of a father that loved you? And now maybe for some of us, maybe we didn't have fathers that loved us. And I'm so sorry for that. It breaks my heart. But let me tell you right now that God, our Heavenly Father, loves you. He loves you so much. He's such an unconditional love for you that I just wish you could feel that physical embrace. I wish you could feel like what really what God is trying to give us this morning, that you could feel that embrace that would just kind of almost suck the air out of you as he bear hugs you and he says, I love you so much. So he has a plan for his children, hope, even in the middle of sad and sobering times of life that we just don't understand because I don't know about you, but I have those times that come to me that I just don't understand it. I don't know why things happen. I don't know that. See, but God uses these times when I'm a child and when I know what it is to fall into the hands of a loving God and when I know what it is to sit in his embrace and to feel his hug around me. See, when those bad times come, what do I do then? I snuggle closer. I get in a little bit closer to him and I allow him to hug me a little bit tighter. And that's all that he wants is our relationship. See, if I'm on the fringe, if I'm really not a child of God, but I know who God is, I would look at those bad things to come and I could say, God, leave me alone. God, why are you hammering me? God, why are you hurting me? And see, if I'm not a child of God, I would look at those bad things in life as a punishment or as a way that that God would be uh, mad at me. And the difference is between the way a child embraces a father and the way another person embraces that same father in that same situation is different. Because as I'm a child of God, I, I snuggle in closer. I get closer to my father, and I, and, I, and I allow him to embrace me more. I receive more from him. And that's what it's all about. See, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. God created mankind not because he wanted us to work the kingdom. He, he didn't want us to, he didn't create Adam and Eve because he needed somebody to caretake his garden. That's not why he created them. He created them because he wanted relationship with them. He wanted somebody to crawl up on his lap and say, Daddy. He wanted somebody to look him in the face and say, I love you, Dad. I love you. And that's what it's all about. That's what Christian living is all about. And so the circumstances that God allows are are designed to cause us to call upon Him. We should not look at circumstances that would be difficult for us as a penalty or as a way to push us from God. Rather, we should look at them as a way to pull us into God. And then when God says, I know the plans I have for you, according to James McDonald, He says, His words are a great comfort. (laughs) they're a great comfort to know that your Abba Father has a plan. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows all about it. He has a plan for it. He's going to take what is bad and make it good for you. See, the problem or the dissension or the the angst comes in this when, when maybe we're saying, God, why don't you show me what your plans are? Why don't you give me a little insight 
The tension is here, it's not that God doesn't know. The tension comes when we say, God, show me. And God is saying, you know, I will give you the plan when I know it's good for you to know the plan. <laughs> I know my own life that if God would have given me a plan to, uh, to prematurely, I probably would have run away from his plan. But I know the Lord has a plan in all of this. And I just want to be a child of the Lord. And I want to obey him. And I want to just understand that he has the plan. And he never apologizes when he says to me, I know, Mike, but I'm not going to tell you prematurely. He doesn't have to apologize to me about anything. He doesn't. All I need to know is I need to keep trusting him and keep drawing closer to the Father, knowing that everything that's happening in me is calling me closer to Jesus. Now, he does give us some general hints of the categories that are described in his plans, for he says that they are plans for our welfare. The Hebrew word for this welfare here is shalom, which means the complete state of well-being, a fulfillment, prosperity, peace. You see, as God looks down through his telescope of time, how God can do that, and only God can do that, his plans are for our total Hear the word, total well-being. He's not into just a partial blessing. He's not into just little things. He totally wants your entire being to be blessed. Health, strength, finances, emotional, spiritual. He covers it all. And he will always promise to meet our needs in all of those areas. His plans are not for evil. They're for our welfare. They're not for evil. Now, there are some people that are determined to prove that they can live at cross point with God or that are intending to live their own way regardless of God's plans. And, and the price that they pay for this is that their plans, their human plans, will lead them away from God and lead them into evil. God's plans, though, will always take us towards him. God's plan will always lead us closer to Jesus. When I get in and say, God, I have a better plan, my plan will not lead me to Jesus like God's plan will. My plan will lead me into evil because my heart is inherently evil. But God's plan is perfect. God's plan is designed to give a future and a hope both immediately and eternally. The biblical definition of hope is, is a confident expectation. Did you hear that word? A confident expectation of something better tomorrow. Not next year, not in eternity, but tomorrow. I mean, physically, tomorrow. And tomorrow may be in the next few minutes. Okay? It's today, really. God's plan for us, when we walk in it, when we walk obedient to God's plan, He will give us fulfillment for today and fulfillment for eternity. He gives us the, the full package. Because remember, he's up for our total well-being. Yeah. Here's one other thing, too. For those that are going through a hard time right now, understand this simple idea. That whatever we experience here today is only temporary. It's only Temporary. Whatever it is you're going through, as hard as it is, understand that it will not last forever. 
It will not last. I don't know how long it's going to last for you. It might last another few minutes. It might last another few days. It might last a year. I don't know. And it's not important. This is where we have to get off the idea that we need to know God's plan other than we know that God's plan is for our welfare and for our future and hope. And know that everything that's in turmoil, everything that's giving us stress and, and, and tension is a temporary phenomenon that is intended to draw us closer to God so we have eternal blessings. That gives me hope. That gives me a future. That lets me know that I don't care what I feel today, it's not going to last because my feelings are not eternal. What's eternal is God's promise. And God's promise is, I will bless you. I am here for your welfare and for your benefit. And that is eternal. And so I will put that over my feelings every day. That trumps my feelings every day. I need to learn to get my feelings in check and not let my feelings trump my God's promises. When I allow God's promises to be in control, then my feelings will ultimately come into that. I may have to squelch them for a while. I may need to kill them. I may need to to speak against my feelings. But eventually, as I continue to pursue this God who loves me this much, he will help my feelings to come in line, and I will then feel the presence of Jesus. He likes it when we feel the presence of Jesus. He likes it when we feel that and we are emotional back to him. So it's great comfort to know that God has a plan that he's designed for our ultimate benefit. But what happens, though, if I've really messed up my life and I don't qualify anymore? See, that's, the, that's one of the questions that will come to a person. Maybe you've already had that question. Maybe it's already run through your head. But I don't qualify for that, Mike. Either, either my life was so bad or I've done such bad things that I don't qualify. Well, let me ask you the question, whose qualifications are you trying to measure up to when you say that word qualify? Whose qualifications, whose measurements? See, if you have a sense of lingering guilt, if you have a sense of lingering lingering condemnation that follows you around, that is constantly bombarding you, and it's overriding, and you can't get out from underneath it, and even after you've openly and honestly confessed your sin to God, even as you've tried your best to give your life to God wholly, and there's this lingering guilt and condemnation that follows you around, understand that that guilt is not from the Lord. Understand that He does not bring continuing condemnation or guilt or conviction. Once you've asked for forgiveness of that sin, it's done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. That's a promise. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Have you done that this morning? Have you you confessed your sins before the Lord this morning? If you have, then don't listen to that lingering condemnation or guilt. Say it for who it's from. It is from the enemy. It is from the devil. And he is coming to be a liar and a destroyer and a stealer, a thief of anything good in your life, and you don't need to accept that. 
You don't need to accept that. So if it comes to you, deny it, rebuke it in the name of Jesus, stand against it, because the Lord's word says, as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he has, and he will. Now, do you want to know how much love, mercy, and compassion God has for his children? Let me read a passage to you in Psalms, chapter 103. And I want to talk about this passage a little bit as how overcompassing and how overwhelming God's love is for us. Psalms 103, starting at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he, as far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We've already talked about who are his children. You are his child. He has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. See, that's the temporary side of life. That's the temporariness of our problems but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. As we looked at this verse, we see God's love and his compassion as the main theme here that God is trying to get across to us. His love and compassion if we can just grasp that, I, I pray this morning that if you struggle in that area, just can constantly and continually pray, the Lord, show me your revelation. Show me how much you love me. Show me that. And he will. To the point of those that carry guilt and condemnation, verse 9 tells us, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or pay us according to our iniquities. Wow. See, if we were dealt the full penalty of our sin, it would be overwhelming to us. We just could not cover it. We could not handle it. But Jesus, our brother, handled all of sin, of all of mankind. And he did it once and for all one time. One time he carried our sin. Now we go to him continually over and over where he has an unending grace that just flows out to us as we go to him. So God is not the accuser. He is not the accuser. God will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. Once you become a child of God, he will not accuse you anymore. He will never bring up your past against you. So then where do you get this from? Who is the accuser? Revelation 12.10, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God, day and night, has been hurled down. See, who is this accuser? Who is he? You know him. Big S. Satan. 
Okay? He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the liar. He brings accusations against us all the time. And see, the only thing that he can do, the only thing he can do is bring up old charges. He can go back in our past. He knows our past. He knows it. He can bring up the old things that, that, that we've already dealt with. And that's the way he fights. He fights dirty. He fights below the belt. He will bring up anything he can to try to distract and destroy you. Even though it's been taken care of, he will continue to bring up the bad so that he then can use it to destroy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21 says this about those that are struggling in this area of condemnation and guilt. Listen to this. This is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. How much more definite can it be? He's not saying the old is leaving. He says the old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now we're going to come back and talk about that word reconciliation because it's mentioned five times. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so what is this word reconciled all about? It's mentioned five times, either reconciled or reconciliation. Reconciled means this. It means to be, to be put back on friendly terms, to end conflict, make somebody accept something, make consistent or compatible. See, God, if you go back and look at this scripture here, God is doing his part four different ways and four different occurrences. He is doing his part in reconciling man to him. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Other words for reconcile or reconciliation means to be submissive, to be resigned, to be prepared to accept. And then it comes down to the one thing that we're supposed to do here in, verse, in, the, in the last verse, verse 20. He says, be reconciled to God. That's my command now. That God is saying now, I need to do my part in the reconciliation. God has done his part. He's provided the way that we can be reconciled to him. Now, I need to do my part. Now, what does that mean? If I look at the definition, it says to be reconciled to God means that through the grace of God, he is putting me back on friendly terms with God. You see, before I become a child of God, I'm not on friendly terms with God. I know this politically is not correct because our world likes to say God loves everybody, which he does. He does love everybody. And just because he loves everybody, I just have to be a good person and that's good enough. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says I need to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of my life who paid for my sins. And then I'm on good terms. So to be reconciled with God means that I need to accept Jesus Christ and I need to be put on friendly terms with God. 
And I do that as I'm obedient to reconciliation. It says we are ending the conflict of fighting against him. I need to stop fighting against God. I need to reconcile myself to God by understanding is that I'm going to stop fighting against the word of God. I'm going to stop fighting against good instruction. I'm going to stop fighting against righteousness. I'm going to stop fighting against holiness, and I'm going to start embracing it. But then it says, make somebody else accept something. Somebody is making the other accept something if you're going to be reconciled. All right, now in our definition, if it's me and God, who's in charge here? <laughs> Who, do you think I'm going to make God reconcile to me? So if I'm going to be reconciled, I need to know that I need to be reconciled or I need to be submissive. I need to acquiesce my feelings, my direction, my plan into God's plan. I need to be reconciled. And then we are to be made consistent or compatible. And again, I need to do this through continual daily devotion, continual consistent commitment to, be, to, to, to maintain my relationship. Only God's children who have, who have turned their sin over to God and embraced Christ by faith, only them are able to really understand what this verse means. God's love is perfect, and we are being trained in ours. See, God's love is already perfect. My love, I'm training in my love all the time. I'm making my love more perfect all the time as I submit to him and as I, be, as I am a pro, um, properly reconciled to him. And as we do that, then we are, we are then committing, God is then committing the message of reconciliation to us so that we can share it with the, with the world, that we then can share the gospel. And then we can fulfill his great commission that way. Going back to Psalm 103, this is speaking to, that, speaking to us and that God knows all about us. Verse 14 says, For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. You know, this is really important now that we understand how God knows how we're formed. We, we're talking about how God uses imperfect people. And what I've been doing up to this point in time have been, has, has been laying, laying the case for how much God loves me and how much God has given up for me and how much I um, can give and how I need to be reconciled to God through my obedience and through how I have to submit my life into his life. Now, we need to know here that God's expectations of me are not going to be perfection. He knows how we are formed, that we are dust. He's not expecting dust to do something that it wasn't designed to do. We're made out of dirt. God is made out of righteousness. God is made out of love. We are made in the image of God, but yet using earthly material. We're made in God's image so that we can develop into his character, but we'll never be perfect like God is perfect. Now, hang on to that because I'm going to come back in a minute because I'm going to read a passage out of this book that talks about perfection and what God expects out of perfection. But yet it's important that we know that the pressure is off us. I am not going to be perfect. My life in the past didn't have to be perfect. His grace and his salvation covers that. He knows how we were formed. He knows his expectations for us. 
So now we don't always have to be perfect. So that when the devil comes to you the next time, because he will and he does, and he comes and he wants to bring up the past about your imperfections, tell him some things. Go back to him and address him by name and say, Devil, I know you know everything about me in my past. I know that. And I know that I did those things. And I also know that I've given them all over to Jesus. He died on the cross for me. He reconciled me back to the Father. And devil, I don't need to listen to your lies anymore. I don't need to listen to you because all you're doing is bringing up garbage that God never brings up again because he has forgotten this. So devil, you don't have anything on me. There's nothing here that you can do to make me feel guilty anymore because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. So we need to get direct and get angry with the enemy when he comes and he wants to give you a bad day. You don't need to accept that. You don't need to accept depression. You don't need to accept guilt and condemnation because it's not about you living a perfect life. And tell the devil that. God knows who I, how I am formed, and he's not expecting me to, to live perfect devil. So understand that. So get off me and leave me alone on this thing. We're saved by grace that says Jesus forgives, and he will forgive whatever it is that I've done wrong. All right, now, I want to read an, a, a passage in this book written by Dean Sherman. And this book is titled Spiritual Warfare for Every Christian. And Dean talks about Christian perfection. And it is a little bit confusing because here is, here is um, the conflict always between grace and works. Let me just read what Dean says. He says, Christian perfection is still a controversial subject in the church today. Some say no one is perfect. But Jesus was perfect, and he lives in the heart and mind of every believer. Biblical perfection is not perfection in behavior. No one can live without occasionally doing something wrong. The Bible speaks of perfection in motive and commitment. Biblical, biblical perfection is commitment to truth. If we violate truth, we must be committed to putting it right immediately by humbling ourselves before God and others and repenting. Biblical perfection does not mean that we will never be resentful or angry. It does mean that when we recognize these things in our life, we will deal with them immediately by humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves must be a way of life. It is simple as saying, I'm sorry I was proud. Will you please forgive me? It is dealing with whatever surfaces when it surfaces. That's biblical perfection. That's what it is to be perfect in Christ, is that we're perfect in commitment, we're, commitment, we're perfect in intention. And when we fall off, and when we fall down, and when we do things or say things we shouldn't do, perfection in us says, Lord, I'm going to take care of it right now. I'm not going to let the, the, the sun go down on my anger. I'm not going to let the devil get a foothold. I'm going to deal with it right now, and I'm going to say, please forgive me of my imperfection. Forgive me of my, of my poor choices. That's awesome. And even though we fall into sin sometimes, the consequences that would linger with that, yeah, they're there. They're there. It's always consequences. But his grace and his mercy is always there to, to, to cover us and, and to keep us free now how do we stay free how do we stay free once we have 
come into this understanding of our imperfection and coming under the fact that God's grace is there for us. Then let's go back to Psalm 103, the, the verses 17 through 18, because this tells us the promise. Again, I love verses that talk about promises. It says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. What a promise that is. And with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. His love is with those who fear him forever, forever, from my children to my grandchildren and to their grandchildren and to their grandchildren. I want to be that generational blessing. I want to be that continuing person in the chain of generational blessings. Or if you are the first Christian in your home, then you become the the beginning of that chain of generational blessings. From your children's children, for those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Wow, that's the promise is establishing a general, generational blessing for those that keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. What does that mean to you this morning? What does that mean to you? Do you have a problem with that? Do you have an issue with coming under godly authority in your life? If you do, let me, let me challenge you with an admonition to say that if you are struggling with submitting to God, can I ask you the question, who are you listening to? Who is your master? See, submitting to God is not hard to do when you have a heart for God. That's why God's plans are those to get the heart not necessarily to get just the actions. When he has my heart today, then I don't have a problem submitting to obeying his precepts. I don't have a problem surrendering my will to him if he has my heart. So this morning as we close, Jackie, if you'd come, is, is I just want to challenge us this morning, and I want you to Understand for yourself what God is asking of you, like he's asking of me. And that is, am I really submitting unto him? Am I really submitting? Or do I struggle in the area of submission? The Lord wants to help you in that. He is doing the job of reconciliation. We've just read it, how how he is doing it through Christ Jesus. But this morning, if you're struggling with submission, there's freedom for you this morning. There's freedom. And what it is, it's a simple act of you saying, I'm done with it. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus wholly and fully. And I'm not going to allow the struggles of life to come in that would want to bring turmoil to me, that would want to bring dissension to me, that would want me to think I have a better plan. So this morning, as would you stand with me, please? And as you close your eyes and, and consider, consider what the Lord is asking. Consider this morning the promises that He's given. But then consider whose qualifications are you listening to? See, the qualifications of the enemy would say that I'm unqualified because I'm not perfect. 
And Jesus would say, you are qualified because I am perfect. You are qualified if you accept my perfection because of my blood that I shed for you freely on the cross. Once you are my child, you are qualified to live in my promises. That's a great promise. This morning, if you're not sure, if you want to be sure that you have that promise, if you want to be sure that you can live under those promises, it's as simple this morning as saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was proud. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I rebelled. Please forgive me. As all eyes are closed, this morning, is there anyone here that would want to just make a recommitment to the Lord in your perfection? Your perfection of commitment? I see that hand. If there's anyone else that just want to just say, God, I want to recommit myself to your level of perfection. And that is that I am submitting myself to you. Most important questions people could ask. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with Jesus. You're not fooling anybody. Well, that's not true. You're fooling people, but you're not fooling God. So this morning, I'll ask one more time while eyes are closed. If you want to just say, God, I'm recommitting myself. I'm recommitting myself to that level of perfection, of commitment. I see the hands. That's good. Amen. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for being willing to submit yourself to God. He will bless you as a result of that because now you are fully a child of the Lord by your, by your commitment to him. Jesus, I thank you for this, Lord. You saw the hands that went up, including my own. Lord, that I am recommitting myself to you. I'm recommitting my commitment to you, and I do that every day. I do that every day, God. And and when I find myself having a moment of rebellion, would you correct me? Would you please correct me? Would you please examine my heart? Would you please search me, God, and know my thoughts? Would you please correct me, Father? I thank you for the obedience of these people. God, I pray your blessing upon them. God, as you would use imperfect people to accomplish your perfect plan, God, I would pray that you would bring blessing today, tomorrow, and forever on all of us as we commit ourselves in your perfection that we would submit and dwell in your presence and do your work in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song as a closing song. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
Amen. Father, as we go to our homes now, I pray. As we go to our picnic, I pray, God, that you'll just go with us. Let your spirit of grace, let the spirit of fellowship just ride with us and let us enjoy the presence of each other. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will just have a, a fresh commitment, my God, and that you'll work your promises. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.